All right, good morning, church. We are in, we just started a 13-week series going through our Articles of Faith, which is the core of what we believe as a church. Manuka Bible Church, these are the things that, that if you became a member, you would read through this and say, I'm on board with that. And as a church, there, man, you're, you're going to talk to different people, and we're going to be looking at aspects of the Bible and come away with some different interpretations of certain things. That, that's there. But... What we're talking about in the next 13 weeks is kind of the core of who we are as a church. Last week we talked about God. Um, we, if you've got your notes, we talked through how we believe that there is but one living and true God who is spirit in nature, existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the creator of the universe of all creation and supreme ruler thereof. And this week, we're going from that to talking about the Holy Scriptures. If you've got uh, your Bible or if you've got your Bible on your phone, go ahead and turn on over to Psalm chapter 1. And this is going to be the uh, uh, main passage that we're going to be looking at as far as like studying it. We're going to be looking at that about halfway through. So you've got plenty of time to take a look at that. But again, as we talked about, we, this is something that Last week we kicked off with, with who God is. And what we're speaking on this week is actually informing that reality. See, God was before Scripture, and so we wanted to make sure that we had him first. But it is Scripture that helps paint the picture of who God is. How do we know this God? Like, how do we, how do we even understand who he is or, or follow him? It's Scripture that actually paints that picture. So if you've got your notes, up there at the top, it has this week's kind of portion of the Articles of Faith of what we believe. And we're going to go through and chew through each of this uh, bit by bit. The beginning of it is we believe that the Bible is the inerrant, verbal, plenary, inspired Word of God as represented in the original manuscripts. What do some of those words even mean? Who knows? We're going to find out. First off, uh, when we're looking at this, we have the Bible being inerrant. Uh, It's the inerrant, verbal, plenary, inspired word. Inerrant just means unable to be wrong. That in the original manuscripts, that we have the the inability for this to be wrong. Why? Because this came from God. It's inerrant. It's verbal, which means that that these are God's words. It's not something that that God just kind of said, okay, here's the the basic idea. Just take this concept and run with it. Whatever you write is going to be awesome because you're just a wonderful person no god's like these are this is what i want you to write the inerrant verbal plenary what does that mean does anyone know i had to look this up i really did i was like i i and and when we were revising this i almost wanted to kick that word to the curb because it's so who uses plenary but it, it is it's actually still a word that is used just not super common but it basically means like ultimate authority. It's the drop the mic word of, 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 the, of the statement. It's the final word. It's the ultimate authority. Nothing can like stand up to that plenary whatever it is. So, so as far as the Bible, it's the inerrant verbal plenary inspired word of God represented in the original manuscripts. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that what we have right here, this is not the original manuscript. We know this is not the original manuscript because what you have in front of you is not written in Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. What you have in front of you is written in English, more than likely, maybe Spanish or or some other language that's your native tongue, but it's not the original language. It is certainly not the original manuscript, which makes me go, well, hold on a second. I mean, well, it's like a direct copy from the original, right? No, it's not. How do we even know this is accurate then? How do we know this is legit? How do I know that what I'm reading is is God's word and not just something that just evolved over time? Like some massive telephone game where where one person says this to this person, this guy miscopies that, and then it ultimately becomes this over here, which is not even close to what God ultimately originally said. Well, here's the thing. 
if you look into the history of Scripture, you're blown away at the accuracy. The thing that Scripture has for, going for it is that though we don't have the original manuscript, we have the closest historical in antiquity, the closest to the actual writing copies of the original. So this was written right at this point. We have within 25 to 50, within 100 years, we have a copy of that. And that sounds like, well, 100 years, that sounds like a long time. Well, if you have something that's super treasured, you have something that's, that's treasured, that 100 years is not a big time, amount of time at all. And on top of that, if you look at all these other books that we look at as being legitimate historical an- antiquities, like Homer's Iliad or, or Caesar's works, Caesar's works were written, a thousand, the first copy is found 1,000 years later. And there's only a handful of them. Homer's Iliad was written 500 years later. And there's, there's only a small amount of copies of that. The Greek manuscripts that were copies way back in the day are over 5,000. And then on top of that, not only that, you have copies upon copies, over 25,000 copies in, in antiquity of the, the scriptures that when they're finding them on different portions of the world from different time frames, they're matching up. And the things that are inconsistent are like grammatical issues. It's ama- There's no doctrinal issues that are like, like, well, you know, this says this about Jesus, but this is so different. It blows people away at how amazingly accurate this is to the point where they're able to ascertain that, that the scriptures are about 99.5% accurate to the original manuscript. So what we have here is an amazing trustworthy scripture versus all of antiquity, which we read as the actual thing, which is so far more removed than that reality. So what we have when we come to the scriptures, whether you have an NIV, an NLT, an ESV, or NET, whatever you be, you've got a trustworthy, accurate copy of what God is wanting you to know. That's pretty awesome. So we believe that. Um, And we believe that because scripture points out the fact that every scripture is inspired by God. The Greek says theopneustos, which means God breathed it. Every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. But not only that, um, if you wanted to sum this all up, like the summary of this would be that, that scripture is my supreme court. Like if this is actually God-breathed, this thing is actually something that God has given me, well, then this is, this is the ultimate truth. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not truth outside of the Bible. There's tons of truth outside of the Bible. You open up a history book and you're going to find truth. You open up like a, a science book, you're going to find truth. You, if you want to know about how to operate in Grundy County, there are books on how to do that. If you want to know how to get, uh, you know, resubscribe your Netflix account, that's out there. That's not in here. So there's truths outside of the Bible for sure. But this is like the Supreme Court of truth. Which means that like if you had, if you're looking for truth, it'd be as if you went to court and in Grundy County you had a case that was tried and the judge says, boom, this is what it is. Well, if the judge says that, that's what he says. But what if you're like, no, that's not the truth. I'm going to appeal this. Well, you go to a higher judge. Ultimately, you can get to like the Supreme Court of the state. Ultimately, you can get to the Supreme Court of the whole land. And the Supreme Court of, the Supreme Court of our country, that's the final word for the judicial system. Like they say it. It, it, that's the way it is. It doesn't matter what the Grundy County judge said. And so just like that, we have tons of truths out there, but they all are underneath the Supreme Court of Truth. This is the final word. This truth, if it conflicts with this, well, then this, this is the word that stands. Does that make sense? So we realize that Scripture is our Supreme Court. Not only that, but the Bible consists of 66 books written by men under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, this is the portion where I would be like, if I was a female or a sensitive person, I would say, seriously, 66 books written by like 40 plus men? Like, God couldn't have had like one female write something? What about the book of Ruth? The book of Ruth. That's a female. No, we probably think that Samuel wrote it. Why is it like? Is this just like super chauvinist and sexist? Why can't Why can't God just have something written by a female thrown in the mix? There's maybe there's lots of reasons. Just with the time, I don't know the correct answer, but I, I can tell you this: If you're a female, let this just stand as a testament. The fact that God pulled off the Bible through forty plus men is a testament to the fact that God can do anything. He's amazing. He's all powerful, and not only men, but you look at some of these guys. I was uh, watching a, a YouTube of a person who's giving a testimony of the fact that she said, here's why I'm no longer a Christian. I was a Christian. I grew up in the church. But now I, like, I, I, I'm an atheist because one of the main reasons is because of what I see in the Bible. I mean, look at who wrote these things. You have people in, this, in the Bible that, that are like awful people. Like people that, like I grew up thinking that these guys are heroes of the faith. They're liars. They're, they cheat on their spouses. They murder people. And so all of a sudden I discovered this truth about, about these people. And so how could I possibly believe in this God? And I just go, man, that for me is more assurance that this is accurate. The fact that God doesn't gloss over the fact that, yeah, David, that guy had issues. Moses, Abraham, Paul. These people had sketchy pasts and they were not perfect individuals. They're not these holy saints hovering above the ground and then writing down words that were just amazing because they're so righteous God was using unrighteous people who were obedient to him to do amazing things. That's the message. That's the reality. That that, that the Bible consists of 66 books written by men under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. What in the world does superintendence mean? Well, think about a superintendent. A superintendent is somebody who manages. He, He makes sure that things are like accurate. Right on. Okay, you can take front row. Um... A superintendent is someone who's on top of things. He's the authority over something. And so the Bible consists of 66 books written by men under the management of the Holy Spirit. What's the summary of that? What's the big takeaway? God manages his message through men. Could God just do it? Yeah, he could. But God's got this really weird fixation on people. He loves people. He interacts with people. He doesn't simply say, my message is super seeds above and beyond the the human frail nature. No, he says, I'm going to actually come into humanity and I'm going to use the personalities of this writer. I'm going to use the way that this guy writes and his culture that he's surrounded in to make this message happen. I'm going to do that because that's that's the way I roll. I'm consistently engaging, bringing the divine into humanity over and over and over again. The Bible is our Supreme Court and God manages his message through men. We see in, in 2 Peter first, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Above all, you do well if you recognize this. No prophecy of Scripture ever comes about by the prophet's own imagination. For no prophecy was ever born of human impulse. Rather, men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. These are God's words. Does God use, does God use Moses and his personality, and his eye, and his ear, and, and in the way that he writes, absolutely. Does God utilize Samuel? Does God utilize Paul and, and Peter? Yeah. And that's why when you go through this book of six, this is, this is one book, but it's 66 individual books. 
You realize that this is this, such a diverse spectrum of, of writing styles, and yet it all is unified into one message, one overarching story of this massive need for redemption and the only one who could actually make it happen, Jesus. We go from there to realize that God's word has been delivered once and for all to the saints, and therefore the canon of scripture is closed. I remember hearing about this canon of scripture when I was a kid in, in church, and I'm like, I cannot wait to see this canon. Like, I imagine, like, like, in heaven, God's got this thing, you know? Like, he's been waiting. You know, you can't see it. There's no pictures because it's invisible. It's spiritual. But when you get to heaven, man, you're going to see the canon of Scripture. And I imagine this pirate ship. Just, and I would, like, I would sit there, and, 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 like, everyone else is taking notes on whatever the, the pastor, who is my dad, is, is talking about. I'm just, like, drawing pictures of, of explosions. And I'm talking about the canon of Scripture right here. The canon of Scripture, the word canon is not, not this explosive, you know, um, cannonball shooting device. It's not a weapon. The word cannon means measuring rod or measuring stick. And it's what the, the, the Jewish people, when the, the Hebrew people, as they're looking through what God was doing, they're saying, you know what? There's a lot of writings out there, but they're, not all of them are accurate. And not all of them are, are clearly something unique from God. But this one was. This was from God. This measured up. This is canon. By the end of the first century, you have God's people being rec- recognizing certain writings of Paul, certain writings of Peter, and, and other New Testament writers as being the equivalent of the Old Testament canon, inspiration. In fact, one Jewish historian noted it, and he says, this is amazing. They're actually saying that these letters are on the same level as Scripture. They're reading them as Scripture. All along, Paul is going along and saying, listen, you need to understand that when he says all scripture is God-breathed, he's talking about the Old Testament. So he was saying, listen, as, as powerful and clearly God's doing something in these writings as it is, let's not divorce ourselves from the Old Testament because this is canon too. When we realize that, well, we realize, but that the one part of that that's, that's unique is that last word there, closed. And the reason that we say that canon is closed rather than open is that it's done. We see at the, at the end of the book of Revelation, we see Jesus saying in chapter 22, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy contained in this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city that are described in this book. Now, I really do believe that Jesus is speaking specifically about the words that, are in, that were revealed to John in the book of Revelation. But that's, that's totally congruent with what Moses was saying. The stuff that God's given me, I'm giving this to you. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. It was this concept of you can't take what, that, something that's clearly from God, clearly inspired words from God, and say, you know what? What I write or what this amazing Christian writer writes is the equivalent of Scripture. Like, like if I wrote a book and it was just like, oh, man, that was just amazing. That's just like, that's as good as the Bible. Let's just duct tape it to the back. No. We can't do that because we're recognizing that this, there's something amazingly unique about this. That God's authority, that God's words come from this. And that you can read amazing books from other Christian writers and you should. That's great. But you realize that those things are all underneath the authority and the power of this. It's closed. And so that helps us understand that God gave me enough data to know and follow him. Does God give me um, every bit of information that I need to operate in this world, in this Bible? Yeah. Does he tell me about every, every detail? No. God does not tell me in, this, in these words, in this scripture, like all the best ways to ha- handle conflict with my spouse. Not all of them are written here. But he's given me enough. 
Has God given me every detail of the mystery of who he is in this book? No. I've got tons of questions. I can't wait to ask him and get the answers. But he's given me enough, enough data in here to know him and follow his lead. Whenever we feel like, man, I just feel like there's mysteries in, in God. That's true. There are. But in the scriptures, he's given you enough data to know him and follow him. And so what we need to do is we need to think about scripture. If that's true, if, that, if our beliefs make us, then that, the, all those realities of what we just read, those, those are truths that we can hang our hat on, that, that, that makes our beliefs. But my question is, okay, so what? So what if I believe that if I believe the Bible is written by God, that, that he used a bunch of 40 plus people to make this book, and then that's written by God. So what? So I believe it's inspired. So that I, I know that God gave me enough to know about him in this book. So what? How does that impact everyday life? Isn't it like I come to church? I mean, that's good, right? I mean, isn't that enough to transform me? I would say that to the degree that you're engaging with the, with the realities we see in Scripture, to the degree that we're actually engaging God's word, that will dictate whether or not we are transformed to the degree that we are. If you're somebody that, that is kind of like, just like, you know what, I just, I'm not a reader, and I, I, don't, really, I don't really understand the Bible. I'm just going to kind of like just let, leave that to the professionals. I would, I would say that you're going to experience transformation from whatever you hear, absolutely. From messages, from what, what you hear at other points, that's great. But if you want to be someone that is totally transformed, you let this become like the soundtrack of your life. Like, think about Scripture through that lens. Like scripture being the soundtrack of your life. When people choose a soundtrack, they're choosing something that dictates the mood and the tone of everything that's happening. You, you saw the intro video that we uh, made for this series. In that intro video, um, we, had, we chose different clips, different video clips. Um, I called up my, my sister-in-law, Amy. She lives down in Missouri. And I said, okay, this is totally last minute, but would you narrate the intro video for this next series that we're in? And she's like, you want me to narrate your video? I said, yeah. She's like, you're looking for like the 60-year-old smoker's voice? And I'm like, exactly. And so she's like, okay. And so they narrated it, emailed it over. We put it in the video. And then we choose this, this certain um, music to go along with it. And, that, and so what, what you see... For, and what you hear is something that we want to set the mood, to set the table for what we're going to be talking about. I'm just going to refresh your memory and let you see just the, the beginning to, of this video that you just watched. Listen to it. Hear the sound. What lies just below the surface? Below the surface, way down to the roots. That's where we are being made. Sure, we're already made, but we're not done yet. What is making us, crafting us, fashioning us? As followers of the risen Christ, his word does. We don't make our beliefs. Our beliefs make us. Remake them. Okay, you get the idea. All right, so you've got that style of music and the narration. What if we changed it? What if we took the narration out? We took the soundtrack out, kept all of the clips, same visuals. We just changed the music. Would that change the message? Would that change the vibe? Well, let's find out.
Okay, creepy. Does it change it? Yeah, big time. And I could have put, you know, Little Mermaids under the sea in there and it would change it. The soundtrack to our lives absolutely dictate the way that we perceive and experience life. What's the soundtrack of yours? What's the soundtrack that you perceive and you interpret and you respond to the life that you have? Most of us, if we're completely honest, Scripture isn't the soundtrack to our lives. It's a soundtrack for the morning of Sunday or Saturday. But once we get into the week, the soundtrack to our lives is dictated by the anxiety of life, the disappointments of life, the pressures of life, the uncertainty of our future. Those voices, those harmonies and disharmonies start to rise up and drown out all other sounds. And that was not intended, that was not the way that we were intended to live. Rather, we were intended as followers of God to be people who are letting his words be the soundtrack of our lives. It was interesting because you've got in the first video, you've got pictures of a father and daughter, you know, vegetables, roots, that, uh, people jumping off cliffs. Everything is, like, is, is with this, up, this, this perspective. It's got a perspective to it. The second one, everything is diminished. Every relationship in that second video is seen differently. Same relationship, but seen through a different lens. If we allow scripture, if we experience scripture, like truly experience it, it becomes the soundtrack of our lives. Here's how we do that. Go ahead and look at uh, Psalm chapter 1, and it says this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams, by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. And he goes on from there. He's making this point. There's a difference between someone who's rooted in what God has to say and someone who's not. One who is, someone who's experiencing God's word and his perspective is like a tree that's rooted by a life source. The person who's not, it's like, it's like dust, like scraps and sawdust. That the first wind that comes, it's not rooted at all. It just like blows around. It has no security. And it's just totally frailing, you know, and, fl- and just flailing, being something that's not connected with anything that absolutely keeps it grounded. In Psalm 1, we see this, but, but how do we flesh that out? How does God's word change us in that regard? Well, first off, it changes us if we experience scripture with expectation. If you're coming to scripture with the expectation that God is going to do something, and not simply as someone that's like, well, I guess this is my spiritual assignment. Pastor Errol totally guilt-tripped us on Sunday, and so I guess I've got to get into this. And so I'm going to read, okay, Psalm chapter 1, blessed the tree, leaf, chap. This has nothing to do with my day. This is the most irrelevant passage. Why in the world? I, I, wish, I, I wish you would have told us what to read because that would have been a lot easier because this has nothing to do. Read it with the expectation. If this is in fact God's word, if he in fact went through the trouble of speaking this through imperfect people to speak a perfect message and it ultimately was preserved to the point where we thousands of years later are still reading it, still being transformed, then we need to be having the expectation that God is in this, that he's going to use this. He will use this. John Piper put it this way. Come to the Bible with a sense of expectation and openness that here, here in scripture, you might find something vastly more wise and more penetrating and more world-shaping than any of the other contemporary ideas you're presently dealing with. 
What are you investing your life to be informed by? Some of you, you're like, it's all pop culture. You love pop culture. So you're just like, you're trying to find out what's happening. And you're constantly finding out what, what the Kardashians are doing. And that's like your world. Others in here, you're like news junkies. And even if you're not a news junkie, this, this type of political season makes people who are recovering addicts of being news junkies, news junkies again. Like I was clean for so long and I'm back in it. It's pulled me right back in. What is informing your day? What are you investing your life and budgeting time to learn from? Piper's point is that if you come to Scripture with the expectation that in this word, even though it is not talking about what's currently happening in the political arena or the pop culture or what's happening in your hometown, it speaks into that and speaks into you Read with the expectation, God wants me to know this. At some point, he's going to use this. I don't know when, but he's going to. Experience scripture with expectation. Secondly, experience scripture by letting it speak into the whole of your day. Let it not just be something where it's like, okay, I'm going to read this, and I, boom, I check off, I, I read my chapter, I read my verse, or whatever, and, and, and I'm done. Or, I listened to the Bible on the weekend when, when Pastor Errol was talking. Pfft, done. I'm good. But actually, you know, he says in that, in that verse, in verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. Now, some people believe that means read the Bible in the morning, read the Bible in the evening. I don't think that's the context of what's happening here. I think what he's saying is let the let the God's perspective and God's word impact and spread itself over the whole of your day. Think about it. And if you're a forgetter like me, maybe that means that when you're reading the Bible, if you're reading a verse or a couple of verses, you just take a post-it note or some type of piece of paper and you just write down something God's showing you or a verse. And then you take that post-it note and you stick it on the dashboard of your truck or your car. And, you, and just whenever you get in the car, you're looking at it and you're, you're dwelling on it. You're letting that impact and speak into the whole of your day. This past week, um, there was an explosion in my office. Um, somebody had given me this... And if it was you who gave, I don't know who gave it to me, so if it was you, I, I totally apologize. But somebody gave me this drink, this um, organic fruit drink. Um, organic, no preservatives, just, and it's like a, a grape chia seed drink. And so it's got like all these chia seeds in it, so it looks like nasty. And it's like, just like, and I'm looking at that, and I'm like, ah, should I just should I tr- say that? Should I try it so I could say that I tried it? I'm like, ah, it looks sick and nasty. And so I just kept on keeping it over here, just, you know, here's my computer, just got it right over here. And then days went on. And weeks, well, two weeks went on. Now, let me remind you that it's organic. No preservatives. No preservatives means zero preservatives. Like, there's nothing in there to preserve it. And it's just basically saying, look, if you're not going to refrigerate me, dude, I'm going to totally ferment. And all of a sudden, fermentation starts to happen. And all of a sudden, the gas bubbles start to go up. And it starts to expand. But it's a glass bottle. And so it's not like expanding out. And the top is just a cap. And so it's just sitting there waiting. This time bomb sitting next to me. I'm doing my work. No problem. And, and up to this point, no, there was no issues. But I left my computer right there um, overnight because I needed to export the video for the women's conference. And so my computer's sitting there blowing heat onto this thing. It's like, I'm ready. I get a phone call the next morning at 7.30 from Joyce saying, what happened in your office? I'm like, look, I know that's a little messy. I apologize. No, no, no. There, something happened in here. The cleaning people came in and there's like this thing that's exploded all over the ceiling. And then they're like, and there's these seeds. 
everywhere. Like all, every panel of your office, every wall, there's seeds and buckshot across the room. And I'm like, oh no. I walk in and I'm like, what in the world? And, and I look around and I'm like, grape chia drink, no preserved, organic. And I was just, it was one of those things. I'm going to be cleaning chia seeds for years out of my office. Now, the thing is that one explosion caused these little seeds to explode everywhere. And over the next period of time, I'm going to be finding them. Even after I've cleaned, you know, after you've cleaned everything, and then years down the road, you find another evidence that it was still there? In a positive way, that's the way Scripture is. Because you may read something right now that you see no relevance in, no, no perspective, and then all of a sudden, years later, when you've allowed that to speak into the whole of your life and buckshot over the course of your life, all of a sudden, you're reminded of, of realities that you had forgotten. You, you could read Psalm 139, which talks about where can I go from your spirit. If I make, if I make my, my bed in, in the heavens, you're there. If I make it in the depths, you're still there. And that could be something that you could just read and it sounds good, but you don't, it doesn't really mean anything to you that day. Until, until, like I was experiencing a couple years back, you're having panic attacks whenever you're on stage. And all of a sudden, that truth that you read that was totally irrelevant years and years before is pertinent, is germane. That same passage can seem really great and fantastic until your son is uh, four years old and he has to have heart surgery. And as we brought Micah in, one of the things that we were reminded of is that we serve a sovereign God who knit him together in his mother's womb. And we didn't know the outcome of the surgery. Is this going to be just no big deal or is this going to be the end of Micah? We didn't know. But we knew that we could trust God one way or the other, that he's good. That he knows Micah better than we could possibly know him. Those verses, when we allow them to spread over the course of our life, all of a sudden we're seeing the seeds of his truth throughout our life. Experience scripture with expectation. Experience scripture by letting it speak into the whole of our day. Um, that, that passage that we read about the tree going, with roots going down to the water, it's talking about listening to God's word. But Jeremiah 17, 7 does not mention God's word, but listen to the, the, rel- the parallel, the echo of this passage when it says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. It doesn't mention the Bible, but it mentions the effect of what God's word does in us. When our, this says that our, our, when we are, are, are listening and meditating on scripture, we're like a tree with roots going down to the water. This is saying, you know what that produces? Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. How do you have confidence in God? This. This informs you. This speaks into your life. And this doesn't say you'll have confidence in God because everything's going to go great. It says you're going to have confidence in God when the drought comes, when you have no hope, when you're blindsided by life. You'll have confidence in him. Not because of your circumstances, but because of who he is. Experience scripture by letting it speak into the whole day. And thirdly, experience scripture as a catalyst to transform your thoughts, feelings, and actions into the person Christ established you to be on the cross. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to live in your life. If you read scripture and you actually take it seriously that this is actually God's word, it will blow you away. It will impact you. It will. It's going to change you. It will transform you. It's, and it's a matter of time. I mean, you, you, God is using, this is his instrument of manufacturing the person that he's, he's calling you to be. And sometimes you don't even know about it until you hit those difficult times 
or those times where you, you don't know what's going on. I, I started a story that I, I, I just didn't finish a couple weeks back um, that I got a lot of flack for not finishing. Um, and I didn't finish it because I, I thought most of you had heard the story. But it was a story of when I got held hostage at Moody. And just, just to finish the story, um, I, I, to catch anyone else who's, who's just here um, up to date, I was... 18 years old, I get held hostage in, in a gym at the school that I was at um, by a guy who just got out of prison for armed robbery. He said he wanted to kill himself. He didn't mind killing us if we made too much noise. And he wanted to call uh, Channel 7 News to have them come down to hear his grievances before he killed himself on camera. So one person was calling Channel 7 News, and Channel 7 News patched that person into the police department, so the police were on their way. Um, we're freaking out. We're all scared. We're all anxious about the situation. We, we prayed in that moment, and, and as a group of 20 hostages, we prayed, and all of a sudden, peace just spoke into that moment like I can't possibly tell you. That's where I left the story with most people, I think two weekends ago or whatever it was. When the police finally got, broke through the doors and came in, he freaks out. He comes back behind the desk um, where all of us were sitting, and he grabs the soccer coach, and he grabs another guy and says, stand up, and the guy stands up and faints. And then, he, so that guy's no longer a human shield. He looks at me and says, okay, you stand up. And I'm like, no problem. So I stand up. And I don't, I, at the time, I was like, I was, like a, I was a pencil. I was, I was, there was nothing on me. The coach was large. And, and so like, we looked like a 10 standing in front of this guy. And, and so we're, sta- we're standing there and we're just like, we're like, I'm like, this is, a, this is so weird. I'm seeing the negotiator. I see all these cops. Some of them are, are loading their guns over here. I'm like, this is like a movie. And, and I'm, I'm standing there. I'm like, but I'm in the movie. And so all of a sudden I felt like God was telling me, ask him his name. I'm like, what? No. Okay. I lean back and I say, hey man, what's your name? And he says, Daniel. I'm like, okay. And then God says, now ask Daniel if you can pray with him. I'm like, this is the weirdest request, God, that you've ever, seriously. I'm like, okay. And because of the peace that was in that moment, peace from the confidence in God that, we, that these Moody students had learned about through Scripture, I lean back and I, I tell him, hey, Daniel, is it cool if I pray with you? He said, yeah, I really need that right now. I'm thinking, yeah, you do. Okay. And I just started praying. I said, God, I don't know what's going on in Daniel's life. Um, I don't know what happened this morning that led to this. But I pray that you remind him that, that he's your kid. And Jesus, because of what you did on the cross, there's nothing that Daniel has done up to this point or that he'll ever do that's, that's greater than your forgiveness. And so I pray that you just remind him of that right now. Let him know it's not too late. And he starts to cry. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this is the most amazing place in the world to be right here. I don't want to be anywhere but being held hostage with this guy. Why? Because I'm brave? Because I'm stupid? No. Because the words of Scripture that had been planted like seeds in my life all of a sudden were showing their fruit. And in that moment, there was peace I, I was remembering the fact that the scripture says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. It doesn't say in all your ways acknowledge him and everything's going to be great because someday you might be held hostage. And in that moment, all of a sudden you realize that trusting in God is about trusting in God, not about the outcome. It's the God who's above the outcome. 
It was amazing. And so we, all of a sudden, uh, long story short, the police eventually jump over the counter. They get Daniel. He goes off to prison. We're instructed by Moody lawyers, do not make contact with him. This is a legal process. It's still in process. Don't talk to him. And all of us obeyed the Moody lawyers except for one guy. One guy who was the manager of the, of the Solheim Center, the place that this guy came in and held hostage. He decided to go visit him in jail every month. And he kept on seeing him and kept on seeing him. And he kept on just sharing, because Daniel's like, why are you here? And this individual is remembering Jesus, who said in Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And throughout time, Daniel, behind bars, gave his life to Jesus and asked God to forgive all the stuff that he had done. And all of a sudden, he was a new person. And then Daniel gets out of prison. And to this day, that hostage taker and that hostage are friends. Now, how, what, what universe does that work in? It works in the universe where this is a reality, where this speaks into our reality, different than what our gut says, what our hip check says. It, it speaks into realities above and beyond what we could possibly imagine. Experience Scripture with expectation. Experience Scripture by letting it speak into the whole day. Experience Scripture as a catalyst to transform your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions into the person Christ established you to be on the cross. And the Holy Spirit empowers your life, empowers you to live in your life. And just br- briefly here at the end, the way that we actually flesh this out is to grab a Bible and explore it. And you might be saying, I'm not a reader, I don't like reading, and I don't understand the Bible. I totally relate to you on that. And what I want to encourage you to do is to, if you've got a phone, you could download this. This is like, I think this costs a couple of bucks. This is the um, English Standard Version ESV Study Bible. But like, it'll help, like this passage we studied in Revelation 22, it helps you understand the backdrop to this. If you don't understand Scripture, read Scripture and have something that helps you understand it. Another thing that's free is called Lumina. You could, um, on Android or Apple phones, you can go ahead and, and download Lumina, which actually not only has the scripture like the ESV does, but it's free, number one. And two, it actually goes into the Greek of what, what does this word mean? And it helps you understand that so that you can say, okay, I get that a little bit more of why that's there. And I would say for everyone, if you don't already have it, definitely download version. This is another free Bible, and it also has devotionals that will help guide your reading. On the back side of your notes, this week, we, you've got like a verse or two that you could be meditating on and asking God, God, use this to help shape me, help this shape my belief. Grab a Bible and explore. Secondly, budget time to learn in community. We are in a time where we can study God's, bio, God's word in isolation. And that's a huge luxury. That's awesome. But I don't think that's God's ideal. God's ideal is that we're studying the Bible in community with a couple of people, within a small group. Sign up for a real life group today. If you're not already plugged into one, plug into one so that you can actually learn alongside other people who are, at, who are studying God's word and care enough about you to pray with you. We are not judged before we can actually learn. And finally, share what you are learning with someone else. Wherever you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you're reading God's word, he's transforming you so you have something to say. You might not be able to say, I totally understand this passage, this verse, but let me tell you one thing that I feel like God is showing me in this passage. And you can share that with someone around you, whether it's a family member, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, just, just someone you hang out with. With my son, uh, Micah, I've, done, I've, done a, I've done, not done a good job of being a dad who's been able to pass on what I've learned. I, I, it's, it's, I'm learning on that. But one of the things that we're trying to do right now is um, we're reading through the book of Acts, just like a chapter a day right now. And, and so it gives us something to, 
to talk about regarding scripture. And so like I just text him at the beginning of the week, the chapters, and then we, we talk through it. And, and, it's, and it's cool. When we get done with that, we're planning on doing this devotional on the book of Galatians. This is not rocket science. And you don't have to know a lot about the Bible to do that. All you have to do is be someone who's engaging God's word with expectation, knowing that he intends for it to be doing something, and then pass that on to someone else. My desire and my dream for this church is not that we become a whole bunch of scholars and academics who know this book verbatim, who could spit it back to me without a problem. A lot of people can do that and they have no relationship with God. My desire is that this is a church that is daily transformed by the word of God. Because if that's you, then whatever happens here on the weekend is a launching pad into a week where you're making far more impact than I'm making by standing on the stage and talking. You're living it. And people will see that. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. And in reverence, we come before your word as, as a testimony to the resounding truth that you don't just want to leave us alone, but you engage our humanity. You used people to write your words. You've preserved your words so that we can still read it thousands of years later. No one else can say that. And God, we're just asking that you use this word that you've given to us to transform our current realities. That we are a people that are forever impacted by the words that you say. And we'll give you the thanks and the glory for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.